Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about Event Horizon, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and written by Philip Eisner. Some relevant trigger warnings for this movie include gore, space, and body horror, and our hosts rank this movie as spooky, I guess. I don't really know. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes and a transcript. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on to the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards that never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the weird sci-fi 90s masterpiece, question mark, that is Event Horizon. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, joining us for our sci-fi Halloween romp, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? What a rare gem from the era of amazing practical effects and absolute dog shit CGI. Yeah. Right from the get-go, this movie is letting you know what it's about. Like, look at our gorgeously constructed practical sets. And now look at this weird uncanny valley shit floating in space. Absolutely. Looks a uh, lot better on my VHS, let me tell you what. Boy, I think that's going to be a theme tonight. And uh, <laughs> the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Well, speaking of Cenobites, I have not seen Hellraiser Bloodlines. I don't know if it's the same movie, but it, I mean, this is probably a better version of that. I mean, Sam Neill is definitely a Cenobite in this movie. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like in the theme of parallel development, like while they were working on Jason X, someone was working on like Hellraiser in space, and then this movie came out, and they just, in the frustration, just threw their screenplay into a trash can. I mean, all I can figure is that this is Hellraiser in space, the same way the same director took the concept of Resident Evil and just was like, what the fuck ever, I'm going to make a different movie. Yeah. And, you know, they just kept that as Resident Evil. This one, at some point, they were like, it's not Hellraiser anymore. Emily drew the short straw on the recap tonight, so she is going to tell us, endeavor to explain to us what it is that actually happened in this movie. Take us oh. on this trip to space hell. The Thank best you. hell. Thank you, Jeremy and Ben. I will do my best. Um, I will preface this by saying that I love this movie, and once I got over myself and stopped showing all my friends Eraserhead in high school, I showed them this movie. Uh, I, I will say I prefer this 100% to Eraserhead. I will watch this I, movie over and over again. I will not watch Eraserhead over and over again. Oh, I had a blast watching this movie. I feel like if you were to describe it on paper and what it's trying to be, I'd be like, this sounds tense, creepy, horrifying. This should be one of my favorite horror movies. And then I watch it. I'm like, wow, there is something making me laugh like every five minutes. Richard T. Jones. There's some real silly choices made in this film. Richard T. Jones is in the film Aliens, and nobody else is. Yeah. He is playing this like the sidekick crew members from the first Alien, and nobody else is playing that same that same movie. He is acting his absolute hardest in every moment. Like he is acting like he knows he could die at any second in this script. And spoilers, he doesn't, but we'll get to that. Now, this film is directed by the prolific 
Paul W.S. Anderson. I had seen this movie before. I did not realize it was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, of whom we have seen several movies, including the original Resident Evil film. And the name Paul Anderson popped up on there, and he didn't have the W.S. yet. And I was like, I wonder if this is the same man. And half an hour into this movie, I knew for sure that it was. Oh, yeah. You don't need to Google this. You don't need to go on AMDB. I did not know he was the director. As soon as his name popped up in the credits, I wrote down my notes. "Uh Uh-oh. Buckle up, Chuckle Fox. (laughs) Well, what? Paul Anderson, I just have one thing to ask you. What happened to you in a hallway? Because you're really good at these fucked up hallways. It's not Um, criminal spaces. I get. Oh, I mean, God. that meat grinder hallway is so good. Oh, such a good hallway. The sets in this movie are amazing. Every scene is an amazing, lived-in, utterly practical set. Even just for like, hey, we're talking in a room. Let's make it real weird and white and with a big green Zordon tube. Why? <laughs> I don't know, but it's gonna look cool. This movie looks so cool. Oh, it's a great and cool-looking movie. This movie is written by Philip Eisner, and I think this is his first writing credit, according to IMDb. That's it. First of four, yeah. The second one is Firestarter 2 Rekindled. I'm sure that one was a... Oh, it was a miniseries. Oh, blew me away. Actually, it... I don't know if it did. It, I've never seen it. We have Mutant Chronicles and Sweet Girl 2021, baby. I haven't seen that either. But, um... I'm sorry, did you say Mutant Chronicles? Yes. My former camp counselor is in that movie. Nice. He gets killed mm-hmm. off real bad. Alas. What the movie does have, as well as Paul Davis Anderson, is Mr. Lawrence Larry Fishburne. We got Sam Neill. We got Joelle Richardson. Jason Isaacs. Kathleen Kinlon. Jack Noseworthy. John Pertwee. No, excuse me. Sean Pertwee. John Pertwee's his dad. Doctor, what, I think the second doctor? Maybe the third one. I don't know. But Sean Pertwee is, is not anyone's doctor. And Richard T. Jones, who, as we have said, is he in Aliens. The, he was the third doctor. Oh, thank you. All right. So, we start this film in space. Where else? Um, yes, indeed. A black hole intro- introduces us to this film. And it brings us through the event horizon to an exposition crawl. Apparently, by 2015, we have colonized the moon. Whoops. Way more exposition than necessary here. Yes. We get a lot of uh, progress of humanity, which culminates in the worst space disaster of the entirety of our adventure through space, which isn't so bad because it's just a ship exploding. Um, And this is the titular event horizon, an experimental spaceship. And here we are in 2047, finding out what happened to that. Enter Dr. Weir, played by Sam Neill. I will be calling him Sam Neill for most of this recap. He misses his dead wife in his space room on the Nostromo, I mean, space hotel, over Earth. Um, We get a series of, like, fake-out wake-ups, nightmares, and then lots of jumps for no reason. This movie's filled with auditory jumps. Yeah, we're going back and forth a lot. But he's in the space hotel because loves a good fake-out dream. Yes. So he's in this space hotel because he's waiting for the Nostromo, I mean, the um, the Lewis and Clark, to take him on a search and rescue mission because, hey, guess what? The Inventor Horizon is back, baby! We meet the crew of the uh, Lewis and Clark. We get to meet pilot Smitty Smith, angry Britishman. We meet the Exo Stark, who is mildly haunted, medical assistant Peters, 
the extremely haunted mama bear, uh, her son as well, question mark? Justin, the baby bear, rescue technician Cooper, lifesaver, heartbreaker, and arguably the least haunted person in outer space, Dr. DJ Trauma. I'm really a big fan of Dr. DJ Trauma, especially when he spins at Death Guild. Yeah, really good experimental DJ. I love his sets. Check him out at DNA Lounge on Mondays. I don't Um, know who saw Jason Isaacs and was like, you're a haunted doctor. And of course he was like, yes. And they were like, and your name is DJ. Like, what? The haunted doctor? Yes. Jason Isaacs got it. Named DJ? What? I think the D is for doctor, but I couldn't. I, I don't know. Can you but, imagine if you went in for surgery and then like you had Jason Isaacs and like that was the kind of bedside manner and just like gaze looking down at you? I Like I would be terrified if Jason Isaacs came into a room and said he was going to start cutting into me. I mean, it depends on what I had. Like, it depends on why I was there. And this, he's a oh. little creepy and just like perches on things. He's spending a lot of time perching places. He, he's more than a little creepy, but I'll get into this. And how could I forget, last but not least, the skipper, aka Captain Miller, aka Lawrence Fishburne, aka the man who has never smiled. After a brief I love nightmare, Fishburne in this movie, oh, so good. Sorry. After a brief nightmare about his naked, dead, eyeballless wife, Sam Neill tells us one. The NSA still exists. Two, apparently this timeline never had a see something, say something campaign because people see a lot and no one says jack shit for the most part. Three, the event horizon, not exploded, back in orbit. The answer will surprise you. What number? Oh, four. (laughs) See the center pole? There's a hole in the top and a hole in the bottom. Holding space makes it so we can penetrate both at once. And that's how black holes work. Any questions? I swear I have seen this exact same (laughs) practical demonstration of how a wormhole or traveling through space works in at least four science fiction films oh yeah yeah and like as he was doing it i i I have a question you do have a question yes please ben oh yeah no my question is will we get a movie about wormholes that doesn't use the fucking folded paper pencil going through a demonstration yeah and as as he was doing it i turned to alicia and i was like I've seen this movie before. I don't remember anything about what happens. But what I know is that when you fold a piece of paper over and you put the pencil through, there is a space between those two pieces of paper that you have to travel through. And that is somewhere else. And that's what the rest of this movie is about. Yeah. Spoilers, it's hell. I anyway. love when hell is in outer space. It's the best place for hell to be. It's doom, you know? That's I'm not being facetious. I love space hell. It's like, hey, you know, cosmic horror? Yeah, the universe is cruel and unknow- is unknowing and uncaring. It's like, no, it cares about killing you. <laughs> space, has mean- a, space has a moral alignment, and it's actively evil. It's just space I, madness, it's a, man. You look in the void. It's great in Dune. It's great here. I am down for, like, demons and the hell are real, and they live in outer space. Yeah, don't tell Neil deGrasse Tyson about any of this film. Just don't tell him. It it would be bad for him. That's a whole TED Talk. That's a whole TED Talk about how Event Horizon does not work. But Dr. Sam Neill did invent the thing that does the thing. And that's why he's here. TM. So, apparently, the Event Horizon, the ship, not the phenomenon, vanished when it went through a black hole to Proxima Centauri because it would do that, because it would be vanishing to go to like another part of the universe but apparently that was an issue 
because uh, it didn't come out at the appointed time. But here it is again. It's on Neptune and it's got a cool transmission, which is just screaming. So let's check it out. Screaming and Latin. Yeah. Dr. Physicist Sam Neill did not do Latin or didn't really learn about languages. Well, I do love that moment because they're like, guys, guys, calm down. That indiscriminate shouting and demonic screeching isn't creepy. It's just Latin. Yeah. And there's nothing, nothing ever scary happened in Latin. (laughs) Notoriously least creepy language, especially when chanted. Yeah. I mean. It's the one all the demons know. Yeah. The demons respond to Latin. You never hear demons talking German. It doesn't happen. Actually, I've heard a lot of demons talk German, but so anyway, I feel, the Nebuch- like, I feel like that's a trap, Jeremy. <laughs> so the Nebuchadnezzar runs almost runs right into the giant goth ass event horizon in Neptune's upper ionosphere. And Sam Neill gets all wobbly in the knees again with the majesty of it all. He's really good at that. He was doing that about four years before, or maybe three years. I don't know. This movie's nineteen ninety seven. Jurassic Park was nineteen ninety three. The crew of the Nostromo board the ship. Because there is no response and no life signs that makes sense. Chekhov's explosives are then introduced. Baby Bear Justin goes through the meat grinder room. Larry gets spooked. Peters finds a cute little blood spot on on the bridge whilst missing an entire Skull and Guts installation behind her. Back into the left of her, however, are the ship's logs stored in every single stolen CD car player. And then a frozen eyeless man comes out of nowhere as she tries to eject the 2047 compact disc. Seeing her try and pull the compact disc from what does look very much like a series of car stereos. Yes. Like, that's, that was touching in the year 2022. Yeah. Like, oh, right. Like, I try not to judge futures too much for stuff they couldn't have predicted for. Like, they're still smoking cigarettes instead of vaping in space. How could they have predicted that? But man, seeing those CDs in the 2040s in outer space, like... That was something else for me. Maybe it's retro. A whole Star Trek situation. Look, uh, the original Alien was closer with like data storage and transformation than than this was. The only thing that would have been better is if a floppy disk had come out. Mini that would have been player. beautiful if it had been a floppy disk. It just comes out on a laser disk. <laughs> <laughs> well, she would have not had any problem pulling that out because it'd be huge. She'd be like, okay, got a grip. I got these big welding gloves. I'm just going to grip on this thing and... <clears throat> Pull it out. And yeah, so DJ Trauma sees this on the screen and is like, what happened to his eyes? This is to the corpsicle. And honestly, this guy's so fucked up. I would be like, the last thing I would notice would be the eyes, honestly. But you know, okay, I digress. No, I do apologize. You calling it a corpsicle, that's not you being clever. The character sees yes. a frozen eyeless dead man in space and goes, a corpsicle. That is the an- line in the movie. A frozen eyeless dead man who looks like he's been balled by a bear. The <laughs> DJ's like, I'm a doctor. In theory, this movie should terrify me. In execution, they always make some baffling, silly choice at every turn to make what should be scary and intense, like, hilarious. That's why I love it. Oh no, the ship's exploding. Oh wow, that's all sure is a PlayStation 1 cutscene special <laughs> effect for it exploding. And Foley. Oh man, in the in the climax of this movie, the Foley gets so rote. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can type a name. That sound effect, that sound effect, that sound effect. <laughs> that's the thing, like, all of these things where it should be like, oh my god, intense violence. 
Was that a cartoon bonk sound effect? <laughs> like the sound, the sound editing was way too cartoony. They really fucking missed the mark with the sound effects. Yeah, like, it's not often I'm watching a movie where I'm like, I think you're losing half a star on the punch of the punch sounds. But I got bad news for you, Event Horizon. Well, yeah, it's okay. The point where I think it was one of the CO2 scrubbers like hit a wall and made the most bong sound that I've ever heard, and it was like. It's because it was a big long metal tube. It was a big aluminum tube. I think that was the most like legit on the spot sound effect that they had in the whole movie. All right, so we found the corpsicle. It was mauled by a bear. Sam Neil thinks it was a uh, explosive decompression. This is obviously not the case. But baby bear, meanwhile, finds the gravity drive core. It's through the meat room. Oh, excuse me, the meat grinder room. It's not the meat room. And this super technological science room full of spikes and an orrery thing spookily stargates at him. And he walks up to it and he's like, cool, let me touch it. And then it swallows him, surprising no one. Cooper, lifesaver and heartbreaker, jumps in to save him, but it causes a a shockwave that almost destroys the Nebuchadnezzar. Everyone has to get on the event horizon now. They hate it. And so would you. Baby Bear is now catatonic. Sam Neill denies the core could do such a thing. But Cooper knows what he saw. Doctor- the point where they introduce the ticking clock of 20 hours, which is indecipherable because it's like, we have 20 hours. And the next scene is like, we're down to 16 hours. And a lot of time <laughs> An passes. An hour later, they're like, it's four hours. It's time it passes. does They're not end up being time. relevant. Yeah. I mean, like, of all the things, like, all the stakes to stack up. Like, you're already in outer space. No help is coming. It doesn't matter how many hours. We know they're fucked. It's fine. They're on a hell ship. The movie knows that it has a bad ticking clock, so it then gives us a different ticking clock in Act 3. Listen. It has has to hop the Andy on the ticking clock. We know that this ship was in hell. Where it's also, we're also in space. We're running out of air. (laughs) And we're going to hell. What if the xenomorphs were invisible and also demons that could read your mind? So anyway, Dr. Sam Neill is to me very strange. Not because he's so haunted. Not because he doesn't know how explosive decompression works. And he's a spaceman scientist. But he's also really strangely reluctant to explain shit. And that's like the scientist's favorite thing to do. He reluctantly shows everybody that the gravity drive is perfectly harmless. And all you have to do is go through a meat grinder room to a big spike room. What's There's no, nothing being haunted here. It's no. insane that no one got impaled on one of those spikes, right? Was anyone else waiting the whole movie for someone to get impaled on one of those spikes? The entire set was Chekhov. Chekhov was there everywhere. Like, there was all sorts of crazy medical shit. The captain's chair of the event horizon had a bunch of weird, like, spiky shit on it. The room was full of spikes. No one got ground in the meat grinder. They were just like, huh, looks like a meat grinder. Multiple characters pick up a bone saw, stare at it menacingly, it catches the light, and it never actually gets used in the movie. Yeah, they don't get a chance to because they're too busy being haunted. Look, I mean, apparently the original cut of this movie was 130 minutes long. And was apparently so violent that both the studio and audiences were like, this is too violent. So all I could figure is, like, it must have made more sense in the, the that version. I am sad now. Yeah, and apparently all the cut footage was lost. Weak. That is the true tragedy of this 
Now, um, Paul Anderson has said the original cut was too long, but the theatrical cut definitely should have been like 15 minutes longer. But yeah. also, I've seen Paul Anderson movies. I don't know how much I trust his judgment on these things. Yeah. Give me the two-hour cut. So speaking of haunting, we have Peters now, all by herself. Except, well, I guess Justin's in there, catatonic. She's in the med bay, which is Jacob's ladder as fuck. And she sees her son, who should be back on Earth in a wheelchair, and he is now on an operating tent with gangrenous legs. But it was just a dream! And she doesn't tell anybody. Yet. Oh, but she decoded the log, perfectly normal, except for the epilogue full of screaming. The ship starts doing weird shit, and Sam Neill jumps into Jeffrey's tube to fix it, and he finds his dead wife again. Simultaneously, Justin has a seizure, and Larry goes to Burning Man. So then everybody beats up, and he's all, what the fuck, and Smitty, what the fuck, so hard that he attacks Sam Neill. But Dr. Trauma tries subduing him with the medical standard procedure of holding a knife to his throat. Captain Fishburne puts the kibosh on all this nonsense with the power of yelling. Stark pulls Skipper Larry aside and starts postulating that whatever is going on, the ship must be alive, and the captain responds by going, whatever, with more yelling. Peters goes back to on duty in the med bay, because that's her favorite place, but she is slightly less unhinged than Dr. Trauma. Some noises happen, Justin disappears, Peters runs to the bridge, and the noises try to rip the, the bridge doors open. Sam Neill tries to open the door because someone's knocking, might as well let him in, but Stark puts him in a hammerlock and is like, Absolutely not. They lose the noises. Yay. But then they find Justin. Yay. But he's in an airlock. He tries to space himself whilst making ominous proclamations, but is saved in the nick of time by Larry. Still pretty gruesome decompression effects. Also, apparently once you engage the airlock door in this ship, there's no way to cancel it. So I think this ship was fucked before it went to hell. I mean, among other shit. Anyway, the crew well, asks- It's apparently designed by Dr. Sam Neill. Who also must have designed those hallways inside the engine where he was climbing around, which are like matrix green on the inside. Oh yeah, they're just walled with like motherboards. Yeah, they're just just walls and walls of motherboards. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? You designed this. This is the freakiest shit ever. Yeah, how did what he do it? Shit? I mean, I guess it's because he's so reluctant to explain shit. He's like pointing at the schematic and he's like, green. <laughs> and the engineers are like, okay. Green, it's a bunch of math. They were like, didn't you go to school for this? And he's like, I'm just a physicist. Anyway, so the crew tried to ask Sam Neill about the, what the dark inside me is that Justin was talking about. Sam Neill's is like, I'm just a physicist. I'm not a doctor. Uh, and Larry is all, well, you're the only doctor we have that doesn't threaten people with knives. And Sam Neill goes, wait. Burning Man returns to haunt Captain Fishburne. Apparently, this is a manifestation of Larry's regret that he couldn't save his bosun while serving on the Goliath. No Keith David in this movie, sadly. He acts his pants off, though, uh, as he discusses zero-G fire and, yeah, how beautiful it is with Dr. Trauma. And Dr. Trauma's like, okay, well, you say that. I wasn't going to tell you this, but this transmission with the screaming and the Latin, it was like, hell exists. Yeah, they initially thought it said, save us. It turns out it says, save yourself from hell. That's why you listen to the whole message before yeah. you call back. <laughs> I don't know. He said something about save me, so we're going to go save him. Oh, he told us not to save him. <laughs> save me. If you want to go to hell, thanks, bye. Call me back at 666. I like how casual Jason Isaacs is. He's like, I might have made a mistranslation. 
it's a real all your base or belong to us type situation, if you know what I mean. I mean, we did get signal. Anyway, so throughout all of this, this discussion and this acting, Lawrence Fishburne and Dr. Trauma scientifically conclude that this ship has been to hell and has now been possessed by demons. Meanwhile, Cooper and Smitty have fixed the Nostromo. Huzzah! Well, JK almost. Still some air leaks. It does appear that they are doing it by using tinfoil. Yeah, I mean, well, there's welding. They're welding. Sure, welding tinfoil. Look, space metal is really shiny and crinkly. Haven't you seen the astronauts? I'm just an artist. I'm not a, I'm not a space doctor. Anyway, so we still have limited air between the Lewis and Clark and the event horizon. Clock still continues to tick. Stark and Peters manage to accidentally decode the screaming video to reveal a cool murder orgy. Captain Miller is all, nope, and decides they need to get the fuck out. Sam Neill is all, but we can't leave the ship, ooh-ooh. And Larry's like, fuck the ship, it's demon, it ate the crew, I'm gonna explode it. And then Sam Neill says, I am the ship. And then he recedes into darkness like Homer Simpson into a hedge. The ship also does not like this plan, and it ramps up its fuckery to the number 11. Smitty and Peters are harvesting the CO2 filters from the gravity core, because where else would they be? And Peters gets got by a hallucination of her child. That's what she gets for being ableist, I guess. Sam Neill discovers her corpse and is almost sad, but then the ship shows him his wife's last moments before she dies by suicide. And then he is for real sad. But it's okay, she shinings right the fuck out of that bathtub and they embrace, and she gives him some empty eye sockets to match hers. Cooper is now completely... Excuse me. Cooper has now completely fixed the Nostromo by himself, but since he is the least haunted of them all, Isla Sam Neill has to use real-life explosives to fuck with him. He fires one of the Chekhov's bombs and destroys the Nostromo along with Smitty. Cooper miraculously survives and supermans himself a month's journey in one minute, back to the ionosphere of Neptune with the power of a single air tank. Don't show this movie to Neil deGrasse Tyson, please. Mm-hmm. It would hurt him. In which case, do. Do show this movie to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Do we want to hurt him? I want to see him become Sam Neil. <laughs> this movie this would make movie. him become God. Sam Neil. He's like, I, I don't need yes. eyes to see. Like, I want Neil deGrasse Tyson. I want him clawing his eyes out and talking about how we're all going into the darkness. <laughs> We've always been here. Like... I think this movie could be the one to break him, and I want to see it happen. So now we are down to Miller, DJ Trauma, Frozen Justin, Unconscious Stark, Space Cooper, and Sam Neill. Miller tells DJ over comms to kill Sam Neill if he sees him. DJ picks up the most vicious stabbing tool he can see and responds, With gusto. But oh no! Sam Neill's been behind him the whole time. Throws DJ around a bit, and then proves that he is more than just a physicist doctor. Larry arrives to find that Sam Neill has almost Hannibal levels of alacrity in turning DJ's corpse into okay, an artist. I also had in my notes that I'm like, this is just a straight up Hannibal kill now. I mean, Hannibal is a this kill. Like, DJ, Hannibal got it from this. This was such a Hannibal-style murder-as-modern-art installation. Yeah, although he didn't really have much to do. Like, Hannibal would have at least made a bow out of the intestines or something, or turned the intestines into a cake, where this is just... DJ floating there, like, w- from skin, with all his guts out on the thing. Who steps ahead, even if those steps are just what he's having for dinner tonight. Sam yeah. Neill is just cutting into dudes going like, space hell, space hell, space hell. <laughs> 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 uh, 
That's that's the, uh, a Sam Neill impression. That's it's the, super that's, good. I worked real hard on it. It's my favorite song played by DJ Trauma. Space hell, space hell. Space. Like, anyway. I love how... I'm not sure if there was enough of an arc to get Sam Neill so completely on board with Team Space Hell, but also, like, what arc do you, like, what arc do you put someone on to get them into, you know what, I love the demon spaceship, all hail the demon spaceship, what arc is gradual enough to make and make that make? Be like, you know what? I get where he's coming from. I think if I was in his shoes, I would also want to go to hell in the hell ship. Step one is be Sam Neill. Then, like, you're automatically a few steps ahead of everybody else in being a demon spaceman ship man, Cenobite. But anyway. Wild about this part, and what makes it not as good as the movie Doom, based on the video game, (laughs) is that immediately after this, when uh, Lawrence Fisher picks up the bolt gun, it doesn't go into first person. Alas. I had my notes like, man, like, Doom Guy would have been able to take care of, like, the fucking Sam Neill, no problem. Doom I Guy mean, had this. I bolted him to the wall. Doom, this, man, space hell, I'm telling ya. Carl Urban would have fucked up Sam Neill. But Carl Urban didn't have to save, like, his entire crew because he wasn't haunted by his burning men. Carl Sagan would have already. fucked up Sam Neill. <laughs> Carl Sagan would have like doubted him out of existence. <laughs> Explained him away. Billions and billions of problems with physicist. what's going on here. Physicist. <laughs> I'm a real physicist. Carl Sagan. That's my impression. Okay, so Larry gets that bolt gun, but he finds Stark unconscious on the bridge, revives her, but loses the gun. Shrugs that off and is like, well, I guess I'm out. But uh-oh, Sam Neill is there. He's in the captain's chair and his eyes have been sewn shut. Because, as we all know, where we're going, we don't need eyes to see. He confirms that A, the ship is indeed possessed, and B, a previous patron of, and shortly will be returning to, hell. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but like, this is the shit I'm talking about. Where I'm like, okay, and now... We get the creepy, like, swivel chair reveal on Sam Neill, and he's clawed his eyes out. All right, what's his big villain line? Really? You're going with a Back to the Future reference? The fuck you doing, Event Horizon? I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's 100%. Like, every time this movie almost legitimately scares me, it then throws in some wild curve that just makes me fucking bust out laughing. Now he trains his gun on Miller, and Miller's like, oh, fuck. But then Cooper's back, and he's at the window. (laughs) And then uh, Sam Neill points his gun at Cooper, misses Cooper, and shoots the window out. So I think he was a little bit hasty with the eye thing. Like, I think he kind of did need his eyes at that point. At first, I thought it was like, oh, damn, he's so hardcore. He doesn't even care about the decompression. And then, like... Sam Neill, like, 30 seconds later, seems to immediately regret having shot out the window in the outer space. Yeah, and he's, like, flung out. I'm like, fucking, I guess you were too into hell like that. You really didn't think that one through, did you, Sam Neill? Yeah. Oh, no, now I have to go to hell the long way by dying. (laughs) Is that the long way? I feel like that's a short way. Like, I thought that was just, like, Cenobite style, where it was like, yes, like... I'm so into it. Not like, oh no, hoisted by my own batard. Like, my fatal flaw, not understanding explosive decompression. <laughs> I mean, it's already been established at that point that he doesn't. Uh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like that, I guess. I guess it was foreshadowed that he doesn't know how space works despite being the space doctor. 
Maybe I shouldn't have put a gothic cross window in this bridge. Oh well. So anyway, Stark and Miller barely make it out, and uh, the airlock alarm blares, and they're like, oh shit, is it Helniel? It's probably Helniel. Shit's fucked. Probably. But no, it's just Cooper. Don't hit him. Don't hit him, please. I love his delivery on them. Don't hit me! And he comes out of the airlock. <laughs> just breaks the tension so hard. I love how um, Cooper's so damn mentally healthy that the ship doesn't even try to fuck with him. Yeah, it can't. It can't. That's why they had to explode. They tried to explode him on the Nostromo. Because they were like, fuck, I can't watch him. Fuck. So anyway, with the Nostromo gone and the gravity drive set to go back to hell, Miller plans to separate the saucer section with the rest of Chekhov's bombs. Stark and Cooper prepare to escape in the Fordex as the ship fights back by bleeding on them with varying quality special effects. They survive. I was so miffed by this. I was like, what the fuck? Why is everything filling with blood? There's no explanation. It's just the ship, I guess. The ship's just bleeding at them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and right? could it, it could not have drowned them hours ago at this point. Is your ship crying blood just for the vibes? Probably. Like, I don't know why. Because the ship. It's not even the haunted is... side of the ship. The haunted on the other side. But apparently the whole ship is haunted. Because in the beginning, they get weird light about... readings throughout the whole thing. I'll tell you what that feels like to me. That feels like when they started the script, they're like, it's a haunted house in a, on a spaceship. And they're like, that's a great premise. And then they're just coming up with all the notes. And they're like, oh, it, and then the spaceship cries blood. And then they got all the way through the script. And then they f- went back through their notes. And they're like, oh, fuck, we forgot the bleeding spaceship part. Okay, well, we're in the part where they go in the thing. So, I don't know, let's just have it bleed. Let's just have the tube yeah. explode with blood. Yeah, I don't know the, what it does. But the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it feels like a note they had early on that they forgot to put in, so they just shoehorned it in real late into the movie. Some, so the executive like, was like, hey, where's the part with all the blood? Did there be well, blood? Yeah, like, they promised that in the pitch, and then they forgot about it, but this I one get, fucking executive I got my blood man on this. He's waiting for your call. There was a blood, there was the blood shortage of 1997. There was just one executive who was just so, like, never got the elevator pitch out of his head and was just like, you said in the pitch the spaceship would be crying blood like in the haunted, like in the poltergeist house. I want my bleeding spaceship. Follow the spaceship of Usher. But, like, also the very, very specific installation in the bridge of the three, like, crevices that have the skull and bones in them that like nobody really addresses. They're like, what happened here? And then they look back at the skull and bones and they look back at whoever that, that Sam Neill being like, dude, what the, this is, fuck it. I don't want to know. I don't want to, this is before they see the blood orgy. This is after the screaming. So I don't know. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. So the Miller has the burning man again now. Yeah, the Burning Man and Miller fight uh, Cooper and Stark. Holy shit. He's gone from being a man on fire to a man with flamethrowers for hand. Like, yeah, he's shooting fire at this point. <laughs> okay, yeah. the one where he yells, you let me burn, and then that shooting fire effect honestly felt like something from a Tim and Eric sketch. 
It was very Mortal Kombat, the video game. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, you want to hear something from Mortal Kombat? Isn't that also this Paul mother, Anderson? Yes, he did the Mortal Kombat movie, and you can tell because this motherfucker straight up reused the exact special effect of a frozen body shattering on the floor that he used for the Sub-Zero fight in Mortal Kombat. Bless you, Paul W. S. Anderson, for what you've brought to the, cinema. I will say, same composer as well. Yeah, Paul W.S. Anderson saw in the script, like, and then the frozen body shatters on the floor, and he was like, fucking, yeah, I think I know how to do that. I think the frozen body shattering wasn't in the script. He's like, yo, I got this. Frozen body, fire laser, blood, <laughs> shit, weird hallway. The practical effects in this movie? On point. Fucking 10 out of 10. The CGI in this movie. Oh boy. Yeah, I will say that the effect when they turn on the gravity and all like the coolant falls is actually pretty good. It is, but all like the CGI zero G liquid leading up to that. Oh um, yeah. Especially when it bounces off the one guy's helmet. Oh, <laughs> it is. It leaves something to be desired on an HD TV, I'll tell you that. Yeah, they're like, the Abyss, remember that? We do sort of. Well, uh, even like. When Justin's like putting his hand in the butt in the gate and yeah. it's like liquid spooky, oh, yeah. and I'm just being like, Wow, this pretty much exact same effect is gonna look so much better in two years when it's the Matrix. Yeah, and it also also looked better five years ago in Terminator 2. And in Stargate, which was two years prior. So maybe And in the Abyss. I think this movie just is a shitty CGI. It's just like, whatever, I, I got the body exploding ice, whatever, fuck it. Anyway, Burning Man attacks Miller. Miller jumps into the uh, gravity drive room full of spikes. They doesn't get impaled. They fight. And it turns out Burning Man was uh, Samuel all along, debuting his Cenobite form, Cut Up Head. Um, Samuel will only be appearing in close-ups from this point on in the film. I yeah. also really like how they gave him his eye ba- eyes back, because they're like, yeah, these CGI eye holes are not working. Yeah, we're tracking on this. Shit rough- rebuilt me. Yeah, there you go. And yeah. No, it, yeah, all those, clo- him only bringing close, that really smacked of some uh, reshoots that they couldn't quite get him back for, didn't they? Yeah. yeah or, or in makeup that they did not want to attempt to replicate over the rest of his body. Yeah. Yeah. For a while, when I was watching the, like, when I was watching this on VHS after I had recorded it off of Cinemax or whatever. Seems like the place you would record it. Yes. Right? Yeah, uh, I feel like that's the only proper way to view this movie is off a v off like a blank tape recorded VHS playing on Cinemax with commercials. Yeah, it didn't have commercials. I did see a version of it that was on TV with commercials. It was very short. I but- oh my god! I want to see. I need to see the cut for TV version of Event Horizon. I just lock. Yeah, it was. I feel like that Mad TV, like Sopranos for network television <laughs> sketch. The end. So no, they just have to, they would have to cut basically every cutaway and vision that anybody has in the movie. Yeah, that's that. They... It would just be a straight ahead story about some people dying of a spaceship. 
We're going to pack. They did change the song in the end that it wasn't funky shit by Prodigy, and I was really funky sad. Stuff. That's oh bullshit. Because I will say this movie soundtrack goes hard. I'm a it fan does. of this music. Very yeah. specific. This music. It, it is so 1997. Okay, so Cut Up Het sets Miller on fire and shows him a trailer for the new Hellraiser coming to Hulu. And they have a final showdown. Miller puts the fire out in the cool blood moat and then grabs a detonator for all of Chekhov's bombs, freeing Cooper and Stark and frozen Justin from hell. Uh, the remains of the ship fall into the black hole that somehow does not implode Neptune. 72 days later, they are rescued but not before Stark has one final nightmare about cut up head. The end. Or is it? Oh my God, that's funky shit. Can we, Alicia, can you put in like the little stanger there? Like we, we go straight into the music of Prodigy. Like if you, yeah, so the bat of the land. I had to look up what the fuck was up with that ending because it really felt like it was a rewrite or a last minute scene they filmed. And Look, this is a sentence from its Wikipedia page, and this is one hell of a fucking sentence to read about a movie. The film's final ending was a combination of two unused alternate endings. Huh. <sighs> this sounds like they didn't even have an original ending. They well, just I- had loose ideas and then had to just end the movie eventually. That's why they had to have, oh my god, that's a fucky shit. Because then they're like, here's another oh, thing. Yeah. I forget. Another thing that I think tells you a lot about this movie the rotational shot of the space station over Earth, which is five minutes into the movie and has nothing to do with the film, took a third of their special effects budget. Get the fuck. Oh no! Ugh. This feels like the FX version of me going to the the CD shop, like the used CD shop, and trading in a bunch of fucking really good CDs to get a Nine Inch Nails import that would be available on Napster the following year. All right. Most of my notes were just absolutely batshit delightful weird moments from the movie that I had to write down. Um, when we Sam Neill first sees the vision of eyeless dead ghost, and he gives a very loud, very half-hearted scream. <laughs> yes. Ah! I'm waiting. Oh! It's <laughs> fantastic. It reminds me of in <laughs> Our Flag Means Death when the the Hodor guy is like pretending to be a foghorn. <laughs> Yeah, it felt like a gif reaction to something scary on the internet. Like, yes. <laughs> like, I don't know how it's not more of a gif. I think because you need the audio component. Yeah, the audio, it doesn't work without the audio. But the thing that tripped me out the most about it, this really bothered Alicia too, is the sheer idiocy of the captain's chair on their ship. Okay, yes, yes. I also won the, the Nostromo yes, the or dangly, the The dangly chair. The dangly yeah. chair on the Lewis and Clark. Why is it dangly? Spins that, around almost the entire ship. That for can't possibly be yeah. stable. <laughs> it's like, like he's just sitting there flopping the whole time he's talking. God bless him. Larry Fishburne is trying so hard to like deliver serious dialogue. It's such chair. a weird chair. <laughs> Why? He's well, insisting no. on just being the most serious motherfucker in the world while he gives right. from a sex swing. Like it's. <laughs> It's the craziest fucking thing. That is on like the slowest motor 
to turn. Like everyone like spins in their desk chairs and is off the ship and he's like, hold on. Hold <laughs> on. Everyone, like, he's just, I'll be like, right there. Like, you know so that Kendall, he's just fucking clotheslining people wobbling. all over the place. Yes. Oh he's my god. Like, bridge and the captain's shit just takes you out. Oh god. shit. And I honestly spent the entire movie wondering like, why did they do it this way? And then I got to the end I'm like, oh, this was all set up for Sam Neill to have a slow swivel chair spin reveal. But then I thought about some more. I'm like, wait, no, it still could have swiveled without being connected to the ceiling. Somebody was like, you can't have an evil swivel chair seat like for a villain to spin around in in space, Paul. It would just float off. And he was this, like, I have a device. This, it feels like something a concept artist like oh yeah the sketch without Absolutely. thinking about how it would actually translate when's filming an yeah. actor sitting in this wobbly ash shaky like ceiling chair oh wait what this the script here says turbulence fuck well already spent all that money on the fucking space station <laughs> can't fix the chair he's already in like the open leg roller coaster ride for one sorry god yeah why god um i feel like this movie, though, has definitely been very influential, and it's now, like, part of the pop, co- like, especially the space horror genre. Like, for as much as this movie took from Alien, I feel like you then see significantly less, but some influence of Event Horizon in Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least you can see that the xenomorphs in Prometheus... But the monsters in Prometheus are the science. You know, uh, there's, well, as opposed to literal hell. I will say, I think Prometheus is a not great movie, but at least, and maybe it probably bites off more than it can chew while being really dumb. And I'm so excited to talk about it. It's one of my favorite bad movies. At least it's trying to tackle themes. Like, <laughs> what is the theme of Event Horizon? Like, uh, what story is Event Horizon trying to tell other than? Man, what in the hell was in outer space? Wouldn't that be fucking gnarly? I, I'm looking at a lot of different facts about this movie. And Ben, you guessed right. Philip Eisner wrote this movie after a family tragedy. He had recently entered a multi-picture writing agreement. In an effort to force himself to get back to work, he pitched several ideas, one of which was The Shining in Space to the studio, which was very receptive. Unfortunately, he had no detailed treatment yet, and the subject matter blended with his emotional state and inspired a prolonged bout of writer's block. The studio executive had originally brought him on board, now a personal friend, helped keep Eisner on track, and the eventual first draft uh, was enthusiastically received. So yes, it was pitched, in fact, as a haunted house in space, specifically The Shining in space. Oh, fuck, that makes uh, a lot of Amazing. That's a solid ass pitch. Yeah, I did not know that. I am so happy I know that now. Like, if I was an executive, I I would rewrite that in a heartbeat. Like, that's a great premise. Yeah, I just want to. I'm thinking about what other Stephen King in space movies I can pitch. Oh, there you go. Fire in space. Fire starter and maximum overdrive. I'm gonna say that. God damn it! (laughs) The stations are after you. This is Maximum Overdrive, because the spaceship is after you in this movie. Oh, fuck, this is, you're right! It's The Shining and Maximum Overdrive. They got a twofer. Listen, it's not Maximum Overdrive unless it all takes place in a truck station. I mean, can we figure out a way to make space clowns happen? 
What is that? Oh my god, I watched that movie recently. Outland? Is that the one where the lady goes back in time and has a lot of sex? No. <laughs> that's, that's Outlander. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> the show. No, this is this is the movie. That's thank, you for, thank, this thank you, Jamie, for getting the forgetting yes. to set up for that joke. <laughs> I thought I was going out on a limb that like and just gonna fucking fall off a cliff with that one. Thank you for trusting us. I'm sorry you couldn't trust me. So, Outland is a movie. It's basically High Noon, but on a space station, and it stars Sean Connery. It's weird. Anyway, it sounds like it should be good, but it's probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So Cooper survived. Stark survived. This movie Baby Bear survived but was fucked up. Okay, the baby bear and the ma Okay, I was able to take the baby bear stuff seriously and like be invested in what in like the danger. I won't go back there. I won't No baby bear. Come on, open the door. And then he called her Mama Bear and I fucking lost it. Mama Bear. Open the door. That, well, that's where I broke. That's where I'm like, yep, out the airlock. I'm like, I'm out. Like, let's do it. I just want to see people die. Let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah, because the whole time, like my whole youth, I was convinced that she was also like she was his mom and he was also her son because he called her Mama Bear. And then rewatching it, I'm like, there is nothing here to indicate that other than nope, the moment that he calls her Mama Bear in the airlock. It's just a real uncomfortable workplace nickname. Yeah, because he's like, he is baby. It's cute. Like, when Cooper's on his way to rescue him, he's like, I'm coming, baby bear. Like, I'm like, that's "That's cute. cute. I like that. When the other characters keep going with the baby bear motif. Motif. (laughs) it, It gets weird. And then after a point, it crosses a threshold. And every time they say baby bear, I just laughed harder. Like, it got funnier with every repetition of Baby Bear. After Mama Bear, I was gone. I was like, oh, these are just weirdly, like, sexual nicknames with, like, some dumb undertones. When Cooper is like, I'm coming to get you, Baby Bear, I thought that was like, oh, it was cute. And then... That's endearing. Mama Bear, we've hit a new level. Yeah, then I'm, I'm concerned for everyone. I feel like um, Mama Bear shouldn't come into play until, like, money is changing hands. I mean, the ship is a patron of and is continued to go to hell. So, uh. I've got to say, I'm kind of down for this spinoff where, like, I feel like Sam Neill's point of view in the franchise is to be like, y'all, we can be a crew of a hell ship. That's the franchise. We're the hell ship crew. Let's go. And everyone else <laughs> is like, no. Everyone else is like, I like my eyes. The hell crew. One of my favorite moments is when they get to the core room. This is the gateway. Now, these three magnetic rings, when they align, it creates an artificial black hole, which allows the ship to travel to any point in space. A black hole, the most destructive force in the universe. And you've created one. Absolutely, yes. Sam Neill's utter reaction is like, fucking yeah, I did. Because I'm awesome. Yeah, I fucking created a black hole. What of it? Like, yes, it's like, the- I love how even before, like, I guess that's the setup. Before he goes full hell ship, he's like, yeah, I made a black hole. Not sorry. I did it because it's cool as hell. Fucking rad. You're welcome. Yeah. Faster I, I than light like travel like, is possible. pointed out. I, I do like that you pointed out, Emily, that, like, the fucking black hole doesn't take in Neptune, despite the fact that, like, that is discussed earlier in the movie that the reason they went all the fucking way out there to take off 
you go to Alpha Centauri, was because they didn't want to fuck up the rest of the planets by creating a wormhole in the middle yeah. of the yeah. system. But Neptune is okay with having one right next to it. It's just fine. There's a Neptune thing. I don't know. Watch Gemini Home Entertainment. It explains all of it. I mean, did you pick Neptune because you didn't want people making a joke about making a hole in Uranus? Because <laughs> too late, I did it anyway. I mean, they could have done. They could have gone further. They could have gone to Pluto. Oh, that's not. If a they planet. went on, yeah, it was a planet in 1997. Did they know then? Um, I mean, oh, arguably, weird it already cause... didn't meet the criteria, and they knew that, but they hadn't actually right. created the criteria yet. Like, they were making too much money off Pluto merchandise. Once Pluto sales went down, they're like, all right, accuracy trumps profits now. That's my theory. That's not a theory. Or weird screams, because no one fucking can scream (laughs) regular in this movie. Lawrence Fishburne yelling, oh, fuck me, when a glove hits his helmet. That's relatable. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. Again, it's that was a delivery. Yeah. He was like, pretty, I thought he was pretty believable because he, you know, just his whole character was so monotone. The one scene where he's talking about wave fire, he was really acting. Him talking about zero G gravity being beautiful is, fire and zero gravity. is a great line. And I'm really glad that given the state of the other CGI, they didn't try to do it in the movie. I feel like they probably did, and they're like, no, not working. Yeah, they really didn't do wave fire. Just kept hitting him wave after wave. Great speed. Um, Perhaps like the wildest wildest thing about the circumstances of the making of this movie to me, I think, is the fact that Paul W.S. Anderson did this movie because he had just made Mortal Kombat and they had to make it PG-13. So he really wanted to make an R-rated movie next, which is why he did this and turned down x-men and that is why we didn't have a can you fucking x-men movie holy shit wow what does the timeline look like where paul ws anderson directs x-men yeah what what is that i oh my god i mean it could either be great it could either be great or it could have been a a real fantastic four by (laughs) um What's that movie? What's the guy that made the movie about no, no, crashing? Not cars? just the movie. Think about the timeline. That's not just a superhero movie. That's the original X-Men movie. That is the beginning of the modern superhero movie era. That is the point when that it became like superhero movies every fucking year. That's true, isn't it? That's not like one of the trends. That is the trend starter. What is the timeline when... What does that, that world movie look like? becomes Paul W.S. Anderson's movie? 2047. We solve faster than light travel. We solve time travel. We go back and find that timeline. We go to t- Paul W.S. Anderson. Well, actually, no. I can't. I don't know if I can handle a universe without Event Horizon. Like, is that the good timeline? Is that like Al Gore wins the presidency? Paul W.S. Anderson like directs X Men, and by 2022, we have luxury gay space communism. I mean, anything's possible if we're gonna look at it like that. Um, like, I know. Like, I always thought Gore directed, but like, what if that was the turning point? Like, what if history changes on a dime if Brian Singer doesn't direct X-Men? A butterfly flaps its wings, and then Paul Davis Anderson doesn't want to do kids' movies anymore. And we have like, Eric Mabius' Wolverine. Like, what if his movie's a hit? What if his version of X-Men comes out and it's a bomb? Yeah, like, 
fucking I'm just saying Question. I'm just saying like that is a movie where I cannot think I'm like wow a choice of director I think changed the course of 21st century history I mean there are probably some other people I mean like we could have had Hodorowski's Dune what would have that what 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 would we could, what would you how do? realistic was that ever <laughs> it was pretty good close question. they had like a whole book of storyboards and like they had the everybody like getting set up together, but then fucking Salvador Dali ruined it. And also Hodorowski is problematic. But anyway, this movie, what does it say about LGBTQIA issues? No, I, I have no, I have more weird I have more weird screams I need to talk about. Lawrence Fishburne yelling, Justin <laughs> when he goes to get him at the airlock. I don't even Oh yeah. There was so much noise in that bit. I was like, what's happening? Oh, that was a thing. Maybe it was just me with the Evangelion too much. Did anyone else think the gravity core was powered by a dead mom's soul? <laughs> I mean, it was powered by, it was by, the powered by a dead wife's soul for a minute. Yeah. The way that this movie sets up oh, the man. dead wife and then she has nothing to do with the film is wild to me. That, like, he's like, I miss her. Also, I made a ship that disappeared in time and nobody has seen in a while. That's completely unrelated. But I was like, was she on the ship? Was what what happened here? Yeah, like he worked so uh, hard. He was working so hard on the ship that he neglected her, and she's like, "Well, I'm gonna do a suicide." Jesus, which is not yeah, that's what happened. That is what happened, though. I'm treating it with the same level of care and respect that the movie is. That is 100 percent true. This thing that you just said. So that is valid. She's like, do do do. And then like it just cuts in and it's like, that is just a bathtub full of cranberry juice. I kept like waiting for him to draw a line here, like him to be like, I want to go to hell to to find my wife who's dead in there. Nope, just hell. It was, what is <laughs> it hell cool? I mean, she it was implied with her being like, we'll be together forever with no eyes. Because where we're going, we have such sights to show you that doesn't have roads or no one needs eyes to see. I'm a big fan of Smitty immediately being like, this ship is haunted as fuck. I want out immediately. I don't even want to set foot here. Even before be he goes happy on the ship. To go stand outside in space and reweld our other ship. I'm not staying on this fucking ship. Yeah. I will go to our ship that has no oxygen. I remember the that. and best characters are the ones who are just being like, this ship is fucked and I hate it. Yeah, he straight up said that at the very beginning before they even got on the ship. He was like, nah, no way. Absolutely not. And they're like, well, guess what? You gotta. And he's like, I'm gonna what the fuck so hard. Oh, like, apparently I can't because I'm busy getting a knife in my throat by my doctor. What the fuck? My doctor who looks exactly oh, like me because they gave us the same haircut and we both have the same accent. And we're both British men that are sad looking. Just like it's the Alien 3 problem all over again. Yeah, yeah. That British men with no hair. I, I appreciate that this is a movie that has multiple uh, black characters, none of whom die on screen, even if one of them does take a spaceship to hell doesn't count as that's dying. right he doesn't exactly uh, die on screen i mean no none of the black none of the black characters die all of the british people die except for stark yeah stark survives stark survives oh was stark british i can yeah, never she has, I quite tell with stark with she her, has a british she has a, okay. he's british yeah <laughs> english how but, great is neil flynn's villain turn 
This is it. I'm in the show. Dr. Jan Itor. Like, just the delivery of I am home, and then, again, he slinks into the shadows, Homer Simpson gift style. Chef's kiss. Like, what a great moment of, for Sam Neill when he gets to, like, do that turn. See, he has, like, four of them in this movie. Yeah, he sure does. Like, like, and they're the all great. Where, it's his best moment, so they just keep redoing it. The moment where the thing is banging on the door, and he's like, they're like, what the fuck? And he's like, let it in. I love that. Yeah. Dutch angles everywhere. Dutch angles of his dead wife in the bathtub. Okay, I'll tell you, I know why the dead wife subplot exists. They did the dead wife go subplot, so eventually, 12 years later, it could inspire the storyline of Dead Space. There you go. I mean, he... Dead Space took that right out of this movie. That is true. Shamelessly. This maybe goes into the question of feminism in this movie. But the dead wife subplot annoys me partially because dead wife is naked on the bridge of a ship at the beginning for no reason. She's yeah. naked throughout the movie for no reason. Just because I guess she was in a bathtub when she killed herself. But like she just keeps showing up naked and I was just like, what is the what's the fucking point of this? I do like that as in the original Alien, both the female characters are uh, relatively intelligent and useful as members of the crew. However, they do feel the need to really tie Peters to this motherhood thing. Yeah. Nobody else has a like person back home that they're worried about, I guess. But she is like, my son in a wheelchair. It's <laughs> well, and the fact like she is tempted by the vision of her son walking around without the wheelchair and she's so haunted by the idea of his of her son with the gangrenous legs and everything and i'm like that doesn't i did get a little ableism from that i need more or less about this i need to like maybe it was her fault that this thing happened to her son and that's what haunts her or maybe yeah or you know not that like I, i just the fact of him being running around being enough for her to like chase him around the ship and end up killing herself did not do it for me yeah also great is it stark yeah yeah this thing keeps happening in this movie which is like when done well it's great but in this movie it's done repeatedly of anytime something potentially creepy is panned off of it will disappear (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah because justin justin like she's pacing behind him and then like when she comes back this way he's just not on the bed and then like Lawrence Fishburne, like, reaches over and sets his gun off screen so that it can disappear. This movie doesn't have great object permanence. for a lot of jump scares. Yeah, like, there's a lot of jump scares, and they never quite work also in this. Like, there's just something off about the timing with the jump scares. And they're really cheap 90s-style jump scares of, like, music hit and thing. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, like... <laughs> there's no tension building. Like, there's no subversion of expectation things happen and i don't know it's in that way where it's like there's simultaneously no build-up but yet it's also telegraphed to the point of no surprise yeah and they, that makes the any sense could have jump scares they don't like where dustin first comes to the core and like he reaches out and touches it and then slowly just puts his hand through i was like you could have had something like reach out and grab him and pull him in or something but instead he's like whoa guys this thing's pulling me into the thing yeah, well, they had lost con- they had lost contact with him, but I mean, like, yeah, I thought it would have been better if it like just grew teeth or something. I don't know. Yeah. Before we get into our final topics, uh, one thing I do want to post to the group is what did y'all think about what we did get of the 
really intense like gore orgy torture dimension which apparently that kind of stuff made up the bulk of the lost footage which is like a lot more of that i mean it's it was pretty standard like hellraiser shit there were like bits of orgy back there like i could sort of see orgy happening in the so background I, of the of the or of the video but well, well apparently again according to the wikipedia page here he hired pornographic actors to act out like some of the orgy scenes and he cast amputee actors to portray like the characters in various states of mutilation huh hmm which yeah huh. um apparently again and they quote it was called the blood orgy the blood orgy video was longer right and that was called blood orgy that's what they call it the blood orgy scene okay like their quotes around blood orgy okay because that's what i called it i didn't know that i didn't know that when i called it capital o i mean it's what else is it it's a fucking blood orgy what else can you call it but the blood orgy Uh, this is like is it in your opinion is there so little of it that it's just some like meaningless shock whatever is it still like kind of like a part of the appeal of the movie for just like how out there it is or do you think it is like legitimately like upsetting and potentially disturbing for viewers in a way that isn't necessary for the story um like <laughs> all of those yeah yeah i would yes i feel I, like to say the same thing i said about other seven minutes earlier i feel like i need more or less it really hems and haws and it's like if you're gonna do something really bloody and grotesque and fucked up then like you gotta commit to it like you gotta just lean into it and i guess they tried to and paramount balked at it apparently some audiences during test screenings fainted that's i pixar didn't happen right i mean like that is the part of the wikipedia article you take with a big old grain of salt yeah although if they don't have the footage i don't know it feels that feels very baity to me like it feels like it's it's like oh there's a director's cut out there somewhere yeah it feels like freaks where they were like oh there's stuff that's so disturbing in this that people ran yeah. from the theater and you watch it and you're like but what part the, what, I, yeah. I, with I, the, I need to know what part this is what you're talking about this movie yeah that's very bad i had some consultation with clive barker on this movie which like makes sense well i'm like, glad he was involved a little bit you know like glad they weren't just being like oh we're doing hellraiser in space don't tell clive yeah, and then Clyde it, Barker sees it, and he's like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> this is what I sound like." Yeah, I, I feel like this movie. I remember seeing it, and I remember it being better. Like, <laughs> that's the way I feel about everything in this movie. Pretty much is like, man, they're kind of onto something, and then they just kind of pulled back. And like, there's kind of a story there, but not very much. There's a good movie hiding under the surface of this movie somewhere, but that movie is not what we were presented with. This yeah, like, movie has a lot of people like going back and returning to the same areas of the ship immediately after something attacks them, and then being like, mm, "This is fucking weird, man. I don't want to be here." And then the, the practical sets are amazing, but kind of not in a way where they immerse me in the movie. Like 
they're almost distractingly good where they make me really aware that I'm watching a movie where I'm just being like, man, those set designers fucking nailed it. Good for you. Yeah, like, ah, shit, I missed that guy's line. Well, I was too busy admiring the set. Like you were talking about the fucking meat grinder hallway, and they don't do anything with that. Like, no, they that. don't. I have to imagine Paul W.S. Anderson looked at that hallway and went like, one day it's going to have so many goddamn lasers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if somebody had just been thrown off that little bridge through the middle of the thing and gotten caught in there, like, would have been great. Just like all yeah. the spikes that are in the, the engine yeah, like, room, like nobody gets hit by spikes. Everybody's falling into the water. The movie <laughs> needed more gore, but it didn't need the blood orgy. It needed person thrown into the meat grinder hallway, someone impaled on a core room spike. I think there was, in one of the like flashes, there were people impaled on those core room spikes. I do believe I saw that. It was very brief. Those spikes were made for impaling. I don't know how someone, like even before he turned evil, no one was like, hey, uh, Sam Neill, it's perfectly, it's perfectly safe. It's perfectly safe. Yeah, apparently in like the original description from the script of this engine room, it's just a plain room with like a weird creepy ball floating in the middle of it suspended by, you know, robot arms. And that's it. It's not like this weird weird oversized puzzle box that Yeah. Uh, that is the engine in this one. I just like I just need him to Here's the thing for me is this movie is about a spaceship driving people insane. And it is about like this last crew from what we're shown cut each other up and murdered each other while having sex and going insane. But what our crew does is get caught by a bunch of gotcha special effects. Like you know, <laughs> the one person that we see get killed by the ship is killed. Like when she goes to hug her child and oops, there's a hole there. And she yeah, falls down. She and... dies via Home Alone trap. She can't. She just doesn't look down. I yeah. do appreciate that it's a like a really far drop, and we go with her body, and then it's like, and look now the final battle room is gonna have like a cool blood pond for Lawrence Fishburne to have a really funny face while he backflops into it. Well, he's looking at his firearm. I mean, I would look at I would look at my arm on fire that way. Oh, it's great. This is a great face. I'm like, never stop, Larry Hirschberg. Oh, boy. Just backflipping right into that blood. Which, how much blood does Peters have? Because that in the core room is fucking, like, red, red. It had a bunch of coolant. Well, that ship could, like, bleed whenever it wanted to. That's true. That ship's fucking extra as fuck. Who was more, like... I don't know how no one was just looking at Sam Neill going like, dude, the fuck were you on when you made this? Like, how fucking extra can you make a goddamn spaceship? That spaceship is so goddamn moody and weird before it went to literal space hell. (laughs) He's just like, I was in the Omen. I don't know what to tell you. That's just how I roll. Okay, and the one other thing I talk about that threw me off in this is after they get in the ship and uh, Sam Neill wakes up the first time when he's not really awake but he thinks he is and he's walking around the inside of the ship shirtless by himself still wearing pants but like oh he looked at me and was like what the fuck is wrong with his body and i was like oh he's sucking his gut in for some reason <laughs> oh, no! got sucked way in trying to like be shirtless in this scene and i'm just like dude bless him either- 
put a shirt on or just let it go, man. You look weird as hell. You can see he's very clearly like sucking it in. And that's like, <laughs> that's why his scream was so bad is that he was, he had no uh, breath. Uh, yeah, I do have uh, to give him credit. Richard T. Jones fucking cut in this movie. Yeah, that, if I was Sam Neill, I would be fucking sucking my guy. Yeah, like, I feel like Sam Neill probably came on set for the shirtless scene feeling okay, and then Richard T. Jones, like, showed up, and Sam Neill was like, suck it in, Neil. Yeah, I, I, the one thing I did ask, I did ask Alicia about, like, when they first introduced Richard T. Jones's character, I was like, do you think this script said an Eddie Murphy type? We were just like, he's got, he's got the same mustache, he's doing the same, like, over-jovial greeting and messing with everybody to the point that, like, it almost doesn't make sense the reaction that like Lawrence Fishburne is having to him. He's like, yeah, okay, I love you guys. This is great. We're gonna go on the ship. Lawrence Fishburne is like, pipe it the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What? It's like they weren't his crew before this one mission. Cooper seems like he should be in a GI Joe or a Power Rangers type like franchise. Cooper definitely not in the same film. You know, Cooper comes from an entirely different fucking genre. Yeah, I kind of love it though. Not gonna lie. Oh yeah, me too. I love it. Yeah, everybody else is like moody and depressed the entire movie about everything, and meanwhile Cooper's like, "Hey, hey, I was out the longest on this thing, doing these things. Hey, man, you didn't, you don't seem to like getting this ship very much. Fuck you, Cooper. All right." Cooper's, uh, Cooper's introduced being like, I'm great at being in outer space and I'm the biggest badass, but in a jolly way. And then spends the rest of the movie proving that to be very true. That's true. Yeah. He's, and he, yeah, well, everybody else is like, fuck you, Cooper. When he just like, honestly, when he just like shoots through a cable to like rescue Justin through a black hole, I'm like, this motherfucker is either about to be totally awesome or just like, die horribly like Chris Hemsworth in Cabin in the Woods. What exactly is it you do on board this ship, Coop? Listen up, Doc. I'm your best friend, okay? I'm the lifesaver and the heartbreaker. He's a rescue technician. Heartbreaker, lifesaver. What a badass. Please talk to man. Now, he does give you a little workplace sexual harassment with your coffee in the morning. That's true. This would have been right after Independence Day. The only reason a casting director wouldn't have said any Murphy type is if instead they said Will Smith type. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. You can't even see the spaceship. He's just like, well, time to just use up all my air shooting off in the vague direction of Neptune. You see the curve of Neptune. Like, he is a month's journey out from neptune like in space like the distance between him and neptune is unreal like he would be so dead but no his magic air pressure gets him back at a speed that would liquefy him but oh he's that hardcore speaking of space not working can we talk about why justin's decompression was weirdly gradual before the doors even opened the thing that decompressed started decompressing like it's it was it decompressed slowly which is apparently a, a process that you could not cancel at any time see like yeah. when it i think you're talking about like when the skin sucked in and you could see his veins which i thought yeah. was going to be a prelude to there being something actually inside him which he says there's darkness inside him but so that they, is never delivered on yeah like his eyes are starting to explode and it's like the doors are still closed 
Yeah. Uh, like, uh, you're not in space yet. Why is the space things happening to you? They're adjusting pressure so the people in the suits don't get the bends. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's because the only types of people that, that can exist possible. in the future are uh, white British that people and African Americans. Yeah. Yeah. They have to kill off. Well, they just about kill off Justin, and they do kill off Peters, who are the uh, two people that Again, are neither of those things. There's no way Lawrence Fishburne in this movie isn't in some way a model for Idris Elba in Prometheus. I forgot he was in Prometheus. I'm really sad that you reminded me of that. Oh, Actually, I'm not I'm that sad. reminded of it next week anyway. Uh, right? That's true. Well, look, he is like pretty much the only character that doesn't like stupid himself to death. I mean, it's also... Him and Benedict Wong, who is also in that movie. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Right. Right? I mean, it's also the same character Idris Elba is in Pacific Rim, so... like He is. But he is, like, he is wonderfully down-to-earth and intelligent in what may be the stupidest cast of horror movie characters we've ever encountered. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about race in this movie the only types of people that exist are black americans and white british people and it doesn't really have anything to say about <laughs> skin color or race or anything in this also it, sam neill just yeah. he is australian yes or i thought sam neill was irish i thought no, he was I... new zealand oh. <laughs> all that let's play where is sam neill from sam neill was born <laughs> yeah, in omar county north ireland okay north, north ireland, ireland. Moved to New Zealand, so pretty much everyone is right except for whoever the fuck said Australia. Someone said New Zealand. I know who you are, but I don't because I already forgot. <laughs> it might have been said, me. It was me. I said Australia. Oh, okay. I'm sorry for being it's okay. Me then. It's okay. I deserve it. Yeah, he's from Northern Ireland, so technically is both Irish and British, but he is not That's from true. Australia. That's true. No, that's welcome to Progressively Horrified discusses the Northern Ireland border. <laughs> We're clearly qualified to talk about that. I've actually, I've been there. To that hornet's nest. I was yeah, there so, in 1990. So not oh, much to shit, say about We're race. good to go. This movie also doesn't have anything That's, to say about the conflict in Northern Ireland. What does um, this movie have to say about Brexit, Jeremy? Nothing. Um, uh, it also doesn't have okay. anything to say about queer people at all. That's yeah, not an option in space okay. future. Honestly, thankful. Unless it's a blood orgy, hell. which is problematic. Blood orgy sex doesn't count. That's its own thing. I yes. <laughs> Everybody's queer during a blood orgy. Come on. Yeah. No one's doing missionary in a blood orgy. I tell you that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I saw some people doing missionary in that blood orgy. Okay. Fine, but they were probably eating other people. With like missionaries, okay, if you're also doing a light cannibal. Well, see, they're I think they were from hell, though. They're missionaries for the. Devil. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different type of missionary position. As long uh, as you're doing missionary as a missionary, then it's also. So this movie has nothing to say about class, unless you want to attribute the fact that the one person who's a doctor of physics. Is just a fucking asshole in this movie to glass. Again, like, yeah, this movie isn't really about anything deeper. Like, the whole premise of Haunted House in a Spaceship is an amazing premise. And this movie does a lot of fun, cool things with it. But I don't think it ever really developed anything more to say beneath that premise. No. Like, again, like, yeah. we're not talking like crazy political themes, but just the way, like, which, again, something like Alien did have with the talk about corporation, 
But even something like Aliens had a like a simple but effective theme of just motherhood. There's not that there. Yeah, I yeah. From a perspective of feminism, I do think like it om- it starts to make me think that like I was doing something good here in that like they don't sexualize either of the like female members of the crew. But then you do also have Sam Neill's dead wife walking around naked all the time for no reason being a demon. So, like, I did appreciate that, like, that first scene inside the Lewis and Clark where everybody's stripping down to get in the vats. All of the female members of the crew are wearing normal sporty underwear. And, like, they don't spend a lot of time, you know, panning across asses or anything like that. It's just, like, they're treated like all the other members of the crew, which is, like, a really basic level of feminism that is also not present in a lot of movies but you it know, reminded like, me oh, nice. of the yeah. unisex communal showers from starship troopers it that's was what it reminded me of slightly less ridiculous than that it doesn't take much to be slightly less ridiculous than starship troopers yeah right it's for damn sure smart book, slightly sure. slightly less ridiculous than the neil patrick harris's nazis against space bugs movie that was yeah. a smaller part of this bigger movie. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris was there, and he was a Nazi, and he was a space. He was a Nazi against space bugs. It may not have been the A plot, but it was a plot. That's, I mean, valid. The only thing that this movie has the grounds to say something about is physical disability and mental health, and it fumbles that ball all over the place. Yeah. Like, it's just space madness. It's nothing like that has any like redeeming value or or interest it it takes a pretty firm stance on hell it thinks it's bad and you don't want to go there (laughs) it would be bad the same stance on hell that the m&ms do on santa claus it does exist you you really don't want to go to hell and you also don't want to be stuck on a spaceship and you definitely don't want to be stuck on a spaceship that's also hell on the hell ship this Hell, man. New. Okay. So what would we do, recommend? Do we recommend do we recommend movie? people watch this movie? Yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's like, fun. Look, like it's a fun premise that isn't fully lived up to, but is executed in a way that's going to make you laugh. There's a ton of really cool and good visuals. And look, no one's putting in an Oscar-worthy performance, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, pretty big-name actors who are always absolutely delightful to see and continue to be delightful here. Yeah, it's a really mediocre three stars. Like, it comes... Yeah. It's a pitch. It's a slow pitch right across the plate. Like, it's not It's not it, doing anything. It's not trying anything too desperate. It is... Have yourself a couple beers with it. Oh, yeah, it's a great party movie. Throw it on, Halloween party, you watch it, and you're like, heh. And then, you know. You don't even really need to watch it. I mean, because where it's going, yeah. you don't need eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to hurt anybody to watch this movie. But that Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Let's <laughs> tweet Neil deGrasse Neil. Tyson about it right now. Neil, how did I heard it has happened? Neil, how scientific is the concept of space hell? All right. That's crying blood. Emily, what would you recommend people watch after seeing this movie? Like, what what should they check out? If you want to watch this movie, but made by Disney, watch The Black Hole. Because it's the same movie, but made by Disney in 1970. It doesn't have as many blood orgies in it. But that movie is fucked up. I will say, 
content warning. A man is killed. Crazy, what is it? A man is killed by trash compactor blades on a robot in the stomach. This fucking trash shredder thing goes into this dude's stomach and he dies. You don't see that much blood. And then hell is there. All right. Ben, what about you? Well, you can't sum it up better than that. I am going to recommend the 2008 PlayStation 3 video game, also for Xbox 360, Dead Space. If you do not have access to a PS3 or Xbox 360, good news, it's being remade and will be released January next year. So only a few months away. It is a really, really cool and really intense and scary space survival horror game. It takes a lot of influence from Event Horizon, very much in that hell is real and in outer space motif um with just like crazy monster designs takes the dead wife storyline and does it a lot better and is yeah just a really exciting and cool action and horror game yeah you you were talking about the jump scares not landing for you in this one if dead space doesn't get jumps out of you you're not alive like (laughs) yeah i didn't finish dead space because unlike horror movies which I seem to be able to handle without issue. Horror video games tend to actually scare the shit out of me, so I tend not to actually finish them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you're, you're immersed. When you're playing a video yeah. game, you're immersed. Yeah, I, I finished right? Dead Space. It did at least once elicit the reaction from me. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> yeah, good, great recommendation. I have sort of two, which is, if you watch this movie and you want something equally, if not more ridiculous, no... It leans more into the ridiculous side. Uh, go watch Doom, because I really enjoyed Doom. Doom does go all the way with the stupid with, that this movie threatens to. If you want to watch a movie that is as good as I remembered this movie being, go watch Sunshine. It's written by Alex Garland, directed by Danny Boyle. It is a movie with some with some space madness that is much, much better and has a much better handle on things like physics than yeah. this movie does. Uh, yes, it's legitimately good and has at least as good of a cast as this movie because, yeah, I mean, with, you know, the all-star crew behind it, on top of that, you have Killian Murphy, Rose Byrne, Chris Evans, like, Michelle Yeoh is in that movie. Benedict Wong is also in that movie. That's right! Talk a lot oh, about Benedict Wong. He's in a lot of... Benedict Wong just pops up everywhere, doesn't he? Good for Mark you, Benedict Wong. That's a good cast! Yeah, it's a real... Sunshine is a really good... I love Sunshine. Watch that one. It is... It has some similar... Dwong also in Annihilation. Yes. Benedict Wong just fucking killing it with the sci-fi horror. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and also Prometheus. Mm, not killing it, but at least he's there. Like, oh, that, that I, is to say I'm glad you... Actually, I'm glad you mentioned it, because now I have something to look forward to. I have to, y'all, ever since we song. started this podcast, I've been looking forward to Prometheus. We are we are a week away from recording about Prometheus. To this point, I still have not seen this film. So get ready oh for a Resident Evil tier shit show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, but yeah, go watch Sunshine. Sunshine's actually good. Uh, Sunshine has got good. a great cast, and fucking Alex Garland wrote it before he was directing movies. So like, if you watch Annihilation and like that, there you go. This is that dude. That sounds like a movie we should cover at some point. Yeah. Absolutely. With, you know, Danny Boyle directing stacked on top of that. So, like, yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> what do we do after that? That's it. Okay. Well, 
if <laughs> so if you want to follow up with us tell us about what you think you can find emily at megamoth on twitter and mega underscore moth on instagram and at megamoth.net ben is on twitter at ben the con and on the website at benconcomics.com where you can pick up all of their books and finally for me you can find me on twitter and on instagram at jrum58 and on my website at jeremywhitley.com and of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified and our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod. We would love to hear from you. Tell us what you think of, of Event Horizon and that stupid, swiveling fucking captain's chair. Um, <laughs> it's too about- bad. It's too bad that they didn't have that chair on the Event Horizon, or else their blood orgy would have been a lot more exciting. I mean, what's a blood orgy if not exciting, honestly? Well, it's seen one, you've seen them all, really. <laughs> Well, you only see one. That's the lucky part. Uh, speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you'd rate and review the podcast. Give us five stars. Help us find new listeners. Thank you, as always, for Emily and Ben for joining me. And thank you for all of you to listen, for listening, to listening, for listening, whatever. I don't know what the fuck happened to me here. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured the Horror Squad, Jeremy, Ben, and Emily. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye!